I am going to invite you to open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. We're going to be looking at God's Word once again this morning. About a week ago, I received an email from an organization. It's called the Version Organization. It's a Bible app that a lot of you probably are aware of and maybe even even use. And uh, the email, the, the title of the email actually caught my attention. I don't subscribe to this normally, uh, but somehow, way, I received this email and the title of the email got my attention and it says this, why does reading the Bible consistently matter? Well, I thought, well, we're in a, a series, a, a brief series on the importance of God's Word, the significance of God's Word, the relevance of God's Word. I wanted to know uh, what they would have to say. And this is what the article said. It says, statistics show that reading the Bible four times a week will transform their life. And this is what they said. This is statistics that they gave. Four times a week. You will be 59% less likely to view view pornography. That's a good thing. You would be 74% less likely to gamble. You would be 407% likely to memorize scripture. 228% more likely to share your faith and 231% more likely to disciple others. And, and what they're saying is the, the Bible has relevance. It can stop you from doing certain things and redirect you, but it also can encourage you in the right kinds of behaviors. And we know that. We know if you've been around the Bible, if you've been around Hope Church, if you've been around uh, people, if we, we know that the Bible will transform your life. I want to show a picture here. Uh, this is a picture of Rembrandt, and it's an interesting picture um, it's a picture of him and his, 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 his mother, and she's reading the Bible. And what I find interesting is this. Where does the light seem to be shining? The, the, light, the light seems to be shining from the scriptures coming toward her. Now, whether he intended that or not, but that's what it sure seems like. That Maybe there's a subtle reminder of the importance of the Bible and how the Bible actually gives us light in the midst of the darkness that we need God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says that some of you have, have memorized this word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's, that's an indication of what the Bible does. It opens our minds and our heart, not only to scriptures, but to the person of Jesus. Who is he? He's the light of the world. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at God's word, the significance of God's word, and how it can transform our life. And basically, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to force you to do something. Well, you you, need to get in the Bible. That's that's not what I'm trying to do at all. Psalm 1 says this, the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who delights in the message of Jesus, the one who delights in who Jesus is, that's the person whose life is going to be transformed. And what I'm trying to do is instill in us a delight for the Word of God and how it can transform our life. Psalm 119, open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your law. And what the law does is the law points us to, it points us to our Heavenly Father. The wonder and the beauty of a God who loves us and the unique person of Jesus Christ and who He's come to redeem us from our sin. So open our eyes that we would see the beauty of your Word. And, and last week we looked at 2 Peter and from 2 Peter chapter 1, we saw this, that, that, that God's word is absolutely reliable. Why, why is it reliable? Because it's rooted in historical witnesses. Peter was a witness, an eyewitness. A, he's writing for an eyewitness account. God's word is reliable because we saw in verse 19 that it illuminates our, our minds and our hearts to the beauty of who God is so we can see who he is. We also know that God's word is reliable because of the way that it came to us. 
the, the Spirit of God directed the people of the Bible, the men of the Bible, to write down exactly what God would have for us. So what I'm trying to do is remind us that we in our lives can be radically changed if we will walk in obedience to God's word as we listen and learn more about him. We see the beauty of his revelation. Of his revelation. So let me just read this text, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, a couple of verses. And, and I want you to, to understand this text in, the, in, the, in this context. Paul's getting ready to die. He's, he's getting ready to, to die. He knows he's going to die. And he has this young man by the name of Timothy, a pastor at Ephesus. And at one time they were kind of separated from each other. Now they've been reunited. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, I, I want you to continue on. Life's hard. Your ministry as a young pastor it is really, really difficult. And I want you to be able to continue on. I want you to hang in there with the truth of God's word so that you then can continue to point the, those things out to the people that you come invo- are involved with, to the people at Ephesus. And that's the context, the heart of a pastor for his young son in the faith. So hear the word of the Lord. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is the word of the Lord from Paul to Timothy. Father, thank you for your word. God, I would ask that you would give us a delight for your word, not because it's a book, but because it reveals ultimately who you are and what you've done for us and how our lives can be radically changed, Lord, how we can find joy in you, in the person of Jesus, and a heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. Father, I pray that you would give us great joy in reading and studying and meditating on your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds about who we are, where we are at in life, and how you desire that we continue on in our faith. Father, I thank you for the beauty of your word. Father, thank you for the way that it's changed our lives. And Lord, I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you, are you anticipating a great 2004? Of course you are. We are. Man, I, I want to have a great 2004. But if you look back to 2003, did you see some stinky times? Did you see some difficult times? Maybe sometimes your life was a little bit hard and difficult for you. Maybe you want to forget about it. Maybe you experienced some kind of persecution in your life. Really, okay. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Notice that Paul writes to Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life, guess what? You're going to face persecution. That's a little bit of the context going on here. Or, or maybe you had some people that uh, were around you that were maybe not the most kind of people, and maybe they were a little bit um, off of what God would have for your life, and the influence uh, affected you in a certain way. And maybe you're weary, maybe you're sad about some of the things that you've seen. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Notice what Paul writes, While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil do- impostors, there are people out there that are masquerading as Christians. They think they're Christians, but they're not. And maybe what happens is those types of people influence our lives. That's what Paul is saying to to Timothy. Maybe you've actually been hurt or wounded by someone else in some way. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. 
Wow. Why? Because he opposed my message. He did a great deal of harm to me. Or maybe you had a family member or a friend just basically walk away. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's the context in which Paul is writing to Timothy. Life is really hard. It's difficult. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of influence. There's a lot of people walking away. And if you go back and read chapter 3, verse 1, he begins this chapter by saying this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last day. Terrible times has the idea of, of, of a storm. That's the, the idea of terrible. There's going to be storms coming across. And if you go back and read these verses, it talks about the influence of ungodly and selfish people around you. And Paul simply says in verse uh, five, have nothing to do with such people. In other words, he's, what he's saying is, listen, there's a lot of different influences out there. Don't allow those things to come into your life. You and I, we as believers in Jesus, we're called to live entirely different. And before Paul passes away, before he dies, he loves Timothy. And he said, Timothy, I want you not to give up. Don't be like all of those other influences. But stand strong. Look at verse 14. And I think verse 14 frames this entire passage, if you will. Verse 14 says this, But as for you, remember the context, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Timothy, listen, there's a lot of influences in life. There's, there's influences all around us. There's people influencing us. There's people at, at our work influencing. There's all kinds of influences going around us. But what I want you to do is I want you to continue on. Don't move from that. The word continue is kind of an interesting word. First of all, it's an imperative. It's a command. So what, what, what Paul seems to be telling Timothy is this. In the midst of all that stuff that's going on, I, I want to give you some directives. I want you to stand through. I want you to continue. This is your command from your commanding officer. And the word also has the idea of this. It means to, to continue and keep going. So we know that. It's, it's obvious. So if I, I, I was to say, hey, listen, um, how do I get to um, Rittner High School? Well, you would say, well, you would go out here to Brown Road. You would continue on Brown Road to get to, uh, get to St. Charles Rock Road. You make a right, and about a quarter mile is on your left. That's what continue means. Keep going on that. But it also has something else. It means something like this. It means don't stray and don't move. It, it has the idea of staying at home. So go out here, go to Brown Road. When you get to north where the stop sign is, don't make a right turn and don't make a left turn. Continue on that path until you hit St. Charles Rock Road and then make the right. And then you're going to see it on. Continue down that path. Hang in there. Do not move from that point. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Stand fast in your faith. Stand fast in what you have learned. Learn. You have had some habits of your life that are true about your life. Those are the things that you've learned. Hang on to those things. And the things that you've been convinced of, there's truth and there are error. The things that are truthful, you have been convinced of. What you've learned and become convinced of, you need to continue down that path. And what he's going to remind us in this, to continue down is this. The Word of God will absolutely transform your life. Every aspect of your life. Timothy, it will change you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how the Word of God radically influenced different people in your life. So a, a couple of ways, five ways, we'll probably only get to four ways, in which the Bible, the amazing Bible, transforms our life and why we should delight in it. Number one, 
The Bible shapes your character. You spend time in God's word, it's going to radically change you. Look at verse 14 again. It says this, but as for you, continue and learn and become convinced of it. Why? Well, why should you do that? Because you know those from whom you learned it. Huh. Who were the influential, those people that Paul is referring to here? His mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And what Paul is saying is, listen, take these ladies seriously. Their character, their testimony, their lifestyle, their faith, they are to be listened to. You know who these people are and how they have radically influenced your life. Think about his mother, Timothy's mother, Eunice, probably married to a Greek unbeliever. So she's unequally yoked here. And yet here she is as a testimony to faith in the life of Timothy. And, and what Paul is saying, remember those truths that they were imparted to you. How was Timothy influenced? Look at verse 15. And how from infancy you have known what the Holy Scripture, how did that happen? His grandmother and his mother. From infancy, for the time that he was a baby. Let me tell you about Abraham. Let me tell you about Isaac. Let me tell you about David. Let me tell you about, let me, let me tell you about all of these wonderful people in the Bible, men and women. Uh, let me tell you about the prophets. Let me, let me whisper the Psalms in your ear. Let me whisper the Proverbs in your ear. L let me talk about the prophets. And, and let me take you to this wonderful messianic text about the Messiah, the suffering servant, and how he's going to come, and how he's going to, Isaiah chapter 53, how he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. What Eunice and Lois did was they pointed Timothy, young Timothy, from the time that he was a child to the scriptures and gave him the word of God. And what this tells me is this, that the word of God is powerful to influence a person's life. Eunice, Lois, influenced by the Old Testament. And now what are they doing? Because of what they've learned, they're pouring their lives into the young Timothy, if you will. The truth that he learned from his mother and grandmother meant something to him. So I came across in my reading this week uh, a question that Pastor John Piper was asked at a conference, and, and it has relevance to this text here. And this was the question, why do you conclude inerrancy was true? Why did you conclude inerrancy was true? And this was his response to the shock of everyone. Because my mama told me it was true. Because my mama told me it was true. I think this is what he was saying. I know my mama. And I watched her life. And I watched her faith. And I watched how she loved me. And I watched how she prayed. And I watched how she dug into the scriptures. And all of that matters. Her character, her testimony, the way that she lived her life mattered in his life. And all he needed to know that his mama told him that these scriptures were absolutely true. Why is that so? Because you know those from whom these people are people of character. And what the Old Testament did to Eunice and what the Old Testament did to Lois was grounded them in the Word of God. And they took that grounding in the Word of God and what they did was they gave that to Timothy so that he would have that solid foundation in which she lived. And by the way, both of them are talked about as being people of faith. It talks about the faith was in them first. 
Think about it. The scriptures pointing us to what? Ultimately to Jesus, chapter 3, verse 15, to the Messiah. They are geared to make us wise until salvation. And that's what they were learning. And that's what they were learning as they read the Old Testament. And they, when they hear Paul, probably in Lystra, Acts chapter 16, they embrace faith and put their faith and trust in him, in Jesus. And all of that was groundwork in the Old Testament, if you will. When I was growing up, and you may have said this to your children, I know I'm sure Laura and I said this to our children, they would do something, and they would ask to do something, and we'd have this argument, dialogue, whatever you want to call it, and then it would get to the point where my dad would say, because I said so. Because I said so. As I got older, and I said those things to my parents, or to my children, I began to think through maybe a little bit of a different grid. And the grid was more like this. Listen, this is a really serious situation here. And I know that you don't have all the answers, and I don't have all the answers. But I would like to, to consider this, that I love you. I love you more than anything else, and I would give anything for you. I, I, w- I would die for you. And you know me, and I love you and care for you. And this is a really hard and difficult thing for you to do. I get it. I have a few more years than you, but I would ask you to do this. Will you trust me? Will you trust me in this? I think that was true for John Piper, and I think that was true for Timothy because of the influence of Lois and, his, and, and Eunice, those godly influences. And, and all I have to say and to remind us of this, character matters. And there's a lot of good people out there, and there's a lot of people out there in character. But one thing that the Bible does is it shapes our character. And we can look at the Bible, and we can read through all through the Bible, and we can start through Abraham, and we can list all of the people who got a little bit wanky every once in a while. And we know those people to whom we can establish character to and from. And so what the Bible simply does, I believe what the Bible does is it influences our character. Second thing it does, verse 15, it has the mark of divine. It has the mark of divine. Look at verse 15. It says this, and how from infancy you have known what? The Holy Scriptures. The Scriptures are they're graphi. They're the writings of the Old Testament. There's no doubt about that. But notice how they're described. They're, they're holy Scriptures. What an interesting way to describe the Bible. We think of different metaphors for the Bible. We think of things like this. The Bible is a sword that pierces our heart and soul, Hebrews talks about. It's a mirror that reflects actually who we are, and that's why it's important for us to read it and study it. Peter talks about it's a seed. What does a seed do? A seed produces growth. That's what Peter says it is. He also says that it's milk, and we are to desire the the pure milk of the word. Why? Because it will nourish us in a beautiful and powerful way. Psalm 19 talks, 119 talks about the the Bible being a lamp that shines in the midst of the darkness. Jeremiah talks about the Bible, the Word of God being a fire that consumes and a hammer that smashes. If all that is true about the Word of God, shouldn't we want to desire and delight in it because of who it reveals to us about the wonder and the beauty of our Creator and Jesus who loves us and cares for us? The word holy means this. It means filled with or manifesting Divine power. Isn't that entering? Filled with or manifesting divine power. This Bible has the potential to radically change your life. I watched a DVD video of John MacArthur. And John MacArthur was telling the story of a man who was 
this is years ago, who was dying of AIDS. He was a homosexual, practicing homosexual and dying with AIDS. And he was fearful for his life. And so um, when he began to talk to his friends about what he should do, and his friends in this homosexual movement said, you need to go to Grace Church. And so he went to Grace Church, and he said he was sitting in the back. And John MacArthur began to read from a psalm. I believe it's Psalm 107. All he did was read, and then he began to preach. And this gentleman was sitting there, and he said, I, I heard John preach and preach and preach. And I kept waiting for him, when is he going to end? When is he going to end? When is he going to end? And he finally ended. And then he went to John MacArthur and he said, when you read that scripture, I want to be that person. I want to be like that. Why is it? Because God's word is divinely powerful to shape and transform our lives if we will allow it to. They are the holy scriptures. When, when Isaiah saw the face of God, remember what it says There's in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And remember his response, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. Why is that? Because he saw the holiness and the beauty and the glory of God and he recognized the sinful state of his own life. Peter that rascal Peter, the one that we love, picked this up. First Peter chapter 1, he says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. You see what Peter does? Peter takes us back to the Old Testament and the holiness of God as a foundation for our holiness. God is a holy God. He desires that we be holy, and we have the wonder and the beauty of the Holy Scriptures to radically change our life. So I did a, an internet search uh, this past week because uh, I had a question on a couple of things. And you know that when you search the internet, um, everything is true on the internet. So I wanted to do a, an accurate search. So I, I just, I'm like, okay, I, I want to I Google the, the most influential books of 2023 and 2024. What are the most influential books out there? I got a bunch. And then, and then I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go, what are the most influential self-help books? And I ended up going to three different lists. And what's interesting about the list, there's a lot of great information about, about marriage, about finances, about your personal soul, about all, kind of spiritual, all kinds of things. But what I found interesting is this. I could not, and maybe I just missed it, I could not find the same book on three different resources there. Okay, let's say there was 10. There's 30 different resources there. But not one of them had the same thing. And I realized they're all writing for different genres. I get that. Do you realize the Bible is given to us and it's divinely inspired to transform and change our life in a mighty and powerful way? This book is called The Holy Scriptures for a reason because it transformed our character so that we would become like the unique person of Jesus. That's what God is doing. As I look at, at, at Isaiah, as I look at the holiness of God and I look at who he is, and then I look at all that he's done for us in sending Jesus, and I look at the life of Jesus and how he came and did so many wonderful, incredible things, I, I want to say in my heart, I want to be like that. I want to walk like that. I want to be holy as he is holy because he loves us and he cares for us. So what does the Bible do? The Bible shapes our character. The Bible helps us to become set apart or separated, if you will, because of the divine power that's within it as we read it, meditate it, and allow it to influence our life. Number three, the Bible points us to Jesus. Look at verse 15. How from infancy 
You've had known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to what? Make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, most likely, well, Genesis chapter 1, um, let us, uh, uh, God created in, in, in our image, let us create the world from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the book of Revelation, all the way it points ultimately to the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. And I think what we do, and one of the reasons why it's good for us to every once in a while read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, because as I read the Old Testament, and I read about Genesis, and I read about Abraham and of the patriarchs, and I read all of these people, ultimately Moses, all of them are pointing us to who? To Jesus. So I read the Bible with the lens of where is this and what is this telling me about Jesus, of who he is. And notice what the scriptures do. It makes you wise for salvation. Salvation, I need to be delivered from something. Salvation, I, I, I've made a wreck of my life. Andrew, it was his testimony. 20 years, he made a wreck of his life. He could barely remember 20 years. And what did the scripture do? It says, it makes you wise. It opens your eyes to the wonder and the beauty of the human condition, the fall, Genesis chapter 3. And reminds us that we have severed and we have broken a relationship with God. And what we need to do is we need to be restored in that relationship. And that restoration comes from what? From embracing Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came and offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. Everything points to Jesus. And so when I read the Bible and I read the Old Testament and I look at it with a lens pointing to Jesus, I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Abraham is a type. Moses is a type. David is a type. A man after God's own heart. How many prophecies did he write in the Psalms telling us about the Messiah and who he is? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was written before Jesus even said it. And it points to Jesus. Isaiah. I mean, you, read, you can't read the book of Isaiah and have your mind not blown about God being the, the greatest, most wonderful, perfect God in the midst of all the other gods. That's what distinguishes the God of the Bible, the God of Isaiah, from every other God. I know the end from the beginning, from ancient times, that is yet to come. You cannot do that, but our God can. And he does that in the book of Isaiah. So what does the Bible do? It's going to transform your character. What is the Bible going to do? It's going to point you to the holiness of God, and ultimately it's going to point you to the person of Jesus. Last thing I want to deal with here in the 40 minutes that I have left, the Bible's inspired. I, I, listen, that's why I'm here. I'm not inspiring. I know it. We know what inspired means. You ever watch a movie and feel, oh, man, I was inspired by that has a great ending. You read a book, ooh, man, what a, what a great ending. I'm inspired by that book. Many years ago, I read through all of the, uh, the Nate Saint books and um, the, the Aka Indians, and I, I read all, I read as many as I could, and because I was inspired by that quote about the way that you live your life. I was inspired by that, and I wanted to live that way. And so music, sometimes music inspiring. A movie's inspiring. But that's not what the way the the Bible used the word inspired. Notice what it says in verse 16. It says this, all scripture, graphe, writing, is inspired. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible says this, this is God's word. And he's given it to us in such a wonderful way that he's protected the way that we would get it. 
the Bible's understanding of inspiration has this idea of divine inspiration, if you will. All Scripture is God-breathed. The Greek word means this, that God took the initiative and the influence, and He is the source and the author of all of our Scriptures, if you will. And let me just, just go on a little bit of a journey here to see how this might come to be. All right, let me just go on this journey with you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let me just put this on the screen and let me just read it to you and let me see if we can walk through this and see what might the understanding of all Scripture being inspired by God would mean. Notice what it says. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And I think that's the point that Paul has in verse 15. Uh, the Old Testament that Timothy's mother and grandmother had was the Word of God revealed to them. We saw that last week, the Holy Scriptures, Peter, the, the Holy Prophets. He had all of those. All of that was the Old Testament, was the Bible of the Old Testament, if you will. And they had those Scriptures. And so there's no doubt that that is God's breath, if you will, that God gave that to the people of the Old Testament. So what about... What about this New Testament thing? I mean, is, is the Bible, is the, the New Testament, is that inspired by God or is it not? Notice what the text says. But in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God spoke long ago through the Old Testament prophets in many different ways, through visions, through the words through miracles, all kinds of things. But when we come to the incarnation, when we come to the unique person of Jesus, what, something's happened. There is a change. And so what we have in the gospel records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is this, that God is speaking to us, but he's speaking to us through the unique person of Jesus. He is the word made flesh among us, the word made flesh. John chapter 14. Notice what the text says here. Notice what Jesus says. And this is a great chapter. We know this chapter. Remember, John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that verse. But notice again the broader context. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. That's a great statement. A lot of people wanted to just show me who God is. Right? Show me who Jesus is. I just want to see God. Okay, you do? Really? Okay, well, let's look at the text says. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? How long have I been with you? What, what, what have you seen here? Have you been paying attention? Have you been falling asleep? Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me. The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. In what way do we see our Heavenly Father through Jesus in his character, in his holiness, in his beauty, in his power? Hebrews says that he is the exact representation. He's the radiance of God's glory. And so what we have here, simply Jesus is telling his Heavenly Father, that what I'm giving to you is what my, my Heavenly Father has given to us. Remember last week at the Transfiguration? We talked about it the last at the Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are there. And the voice from heaven, they hear the voice from heaven. It says, this is my son whom I love. And then what is the next word? Listen to him. Why? Because he's giving you my words. 
the words that I would have him to say. And by the way, Jesus said that this was going to happen in John chapter 16, verse 13. He said, one day the Spirit of God is going to teach you in all truth. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Through the Spirit of God, God was revealing himself to them so that they would know about who he is and what he had done for them. Let me just show you one other verse. You're in 2 Timothy. Flip back one page, or just let me read it for you. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. I'm going to show you how Paul refers to Scripture in an interesting way. So we're talking about is the New Testament, the Old Testament, yeah, that's Scripture. But what about the New Testament? Well, well notice what, what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 18. We read this, for the Scripture says, for the Scripture says, he's quoting Scripture, right? Do not muzzle the ox while he was treading out the grain, and, another verse, the worker deserves his wages. So notice what is called Scripture here. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. If you look that up, that's God speaking. That's, that's the first verse here. For the scripture says, do not, God is speaking. So we know that that's scripture. But notice the other text is also referred to as scripture, and it says this. The worker deserves his wages. Well, where is that? I don't know. It's not in the Old Testament. If it's not in the Old Testament and it's called scripture, where is it? Well, it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, and it's quoting the life and the person of Jesus. So what he's doing is, Paul is quoting Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where we have a reference to Jesus speaking the very words of God, if you will. And so what we can do is we can trust that the New Testament is inspired by God, divinely directed by God. We saw this last week, Second Peter. Let me just read this verse. How do we get the Bible? Well, God protected us. God guided it. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, For prophecy, prophecy, the Old Testament scripture, the writings of scripture, never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Bible didn't come from golden tablets. The Bible didn't come from a fax machine. Uh, God didn't say, okay, now, Paul, uh, why don't you sit down, uh, grab a cup of coffee, and a pen and a paper, and let me just tell you what we're going to do here. It's not the way that he did it. As a matter of fact, that word carried along is a very interesting word. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 27, Paul is in a storm. And in that storm, the ship is being what? Carried along by what? The wind. They had a certain amount of control, not a lot of control. They had a certain amount of control, but they were being carried along by what? The wind, if you will. And that's how we got our scriptures, that God protected what he would have through the Spirit of God, guiding, directing people to write down the things that he would have them to write, even using their own personalities, their own circumstances, their own life. Just because this is what I do, let me give you a theologian's view, unless you're sitting there going, nah, I don't know about you, Clint. Well, let me just give you a theologian, you know, because that's what I do. I read books from, of theology, and this is what the theologians say about divine inspiration. Let me just give you one. I could give you a lot. Here, this is what this guy said, divine inspiration. Did I not put it down? Because it's a great quote. I can't even see it. Okay, here we go. Carl Henry. This is what we believe about the Bible, right? And I hope that this gives you confidence. Why should I walk in obedience to it? Why should I obey it? Why should I delight in it? Because it's divinely given to me. 
that supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit, whereby the sacred writers were divinely supervised in their production of Scripture, being restrained from error and guided in the choice of words they used, consistently with their disparate personalities and stylistic peculiarities. Scriptures had their origin in God the Father. He is the source. And what he would do is he would protect what he would have. Listen, my desire this morning, and I'm done. Um, Verse 15 tells us why, but I'm I'm done. And we'll come back to that. I I want you to find great delight in the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to shape your character, to shape my character, to transform me into a person that God would have me to do. And he would do that because they're holy and they're righteous. And by the way, it's okay to be holy. It's okay to be holy. It means set apart, separated, separated from my... The, the song that we sang, protect me from all the influence, the song that we sang, that, isn't that what we want? That's what Paul's writing here. Be separate. Be holy as I am holy. It's okay to be holy. What the Word of God does, it relically transforms, it has the mark of the divine. It points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. And it's inspired in a way that nothing else is inspired. And so my desire is to continue to go through this, maybe once or one or two more weeks, because I love God's Word, and I, I want us to ultimately to delight in it. But I also want you to see its relevance in our life, that we don't just put it and throw it in, a, throw it in the back of our car or put it on the shelf and pull it out every once in a while. Or, oh, man, I'm going through a really, really hard time now. Dear Lord, I need help. I'm going to ask for this. Or we kind of pick and choose what we would have. That's not the, we're going to systematically read and study the Bible to allow it to filter into our life. Lord, you are the word made flesh. Father, when we see the person of Jesus, we recognize that he is full, full of grace and truth. And Father, this morning we come to you seeking your grace and your truth. That we would walk in obedience to you. Father, I pray for our hearts. God, that we would delight in who you are because they point to Jesus, the one who walked upon this earth, the one who went to the cross and said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Father, thank you for the the person of Jesus. Thank you for the way that he changes our lives. Father, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name.